Welcome to the Achievable FINRA podcast. I'm Tyler, founder of Achievable, and we have affordable FINRA courses for the FINRA SIE, the Series 6, 7, 63, 65, and 66 exams with industry best pass rates. Each Achievable course includes everything you need to pass the first time, including a full textbook, videos on key topics, thousands of questions backed by our memory-enhancing algorithm, and full-length practice exams. You can try it out for free at achievable.me, and if you like it, use the code PODCAST to save 10%. Now, let's get started. Today, I've got two guests I'm really excited to have on the show with us, uh, the securities guys. Uh, And so I'd love for you each to go and introduce yourself, maybe Jeff, if you want to start. Yeah, sounds good. So, yeah, I'm Jeff Tharp uh, from Jeff Tharp Securities Licensing and the Securities Guys. And uh, I've been uh, assisting reps in, in passing these securities exams, these FINRA exams, since 1999. That's when I first started teaching the exams. I've been securities licensed since 1991, so I've been in the industry forever. Well, my version of forever. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> And so... You know, we're not due to this. Uh, I met Brian about seven years ago uh, through one of uh, the guys from our broker dealer. He introduced me to Brian. Uh, we really hit it off. Brian it, it would be the techie one of the two of us, um, as you'll see probably as we're walking through um, the podcast today. But uh, but yeah, Brian and I met seven years ago, and uh, he's the one that puts all our stuff together. You know, the content, the uh the, the, the PowerPoints, you know, for all our classes and our systems, you know, we're semi-famous for our SIE elite system and our classes. And Brian is responsible for putting uh, most of that stuff together. So that's awesome. about all for me. So Brian, <laughs> why don't you introduce yourself? <laughs> well, I'm Brian Collins with the securities guys. I, I am the nerd of the group. I've been teaching the securities licensings for about seven years. I've been teaching other things for most of my life, different art and craft forms. Um, but I very much enjoy teaching and helping people pass these exams. I uh, tell people that I, I might be a weirdo, but I'm a useful weirdo to know. <laughs> That's great. Well, I'm really excited to talk about today's topic. It's something that um, both your firm and mine, uh, we are very passionate about, right, which is helping people pass their FINRA SIE when they didn't come from a finance background, right? Um, That's really, this is where the rubber hits the road for a lot of people when they get their first job in wealth management or insurance or something else like that, where, you know, on the one hand, it's a sales job. And as long as you can be a good salesperson, you could do very well in it. Uh, But on the other hand, you've got to figure out all this FINRA stuff that you've never seen before. And what the heck is this, right? And then you have to pass this test. Why do I have tests? So it's a whole, it's a whole thing. And I think that it's also like a, it's a point where the better you can do at making things kind of easy to understand for a normal person that didn't go to Wharton, um, the the better the better off that everybody will be, right? Um, Absolutely. So yeah, I mean, Absolutely. I don't know if you guys want to kick it off. Just what are sort of your philosophies going in with people who don't have a finance background? Well, uh, Tyler, at our broker dealer, most of the people when they come in were like me, right? When I when I got started, I was a restaurant manager, right? I had no financial background, mm-hmm. right? And all I knew about finance was my I had a 401k and I picked the aggressive option because the dude that came in and was talking about the 401k told me, "Hey man, if you pick this aggressive option, you can make all the money." Mm-hmm. And you know, that that's that's 
was the extent when I got offered an opportunity to get started in the business, right? And so um, when I got started, it was the life insurance license. Okay, that went pretty smooth, no problem. And then we got into these securities licenses. Um, for me, it was the six at the time, the six and the 63s where we started and then the 26. And it was like, oh, crap, right? So they hand all they did was hand me a book, right, that had pages ripped out of it because it had been passed around the office. <laughs> and um, that, that, that <laughs> it's the truth, baby. It, it was an old Bysis book. Uh, the guys that remember those guys. Um, and uh, and so we had that. We had some paper test questions. I didn't even have an exam simulator. I mean, we just, that's where we got started. And, and, um, and so as I progressed in the business and grew in the business, we started seeing a lot of our guys that were just quitting because they weren't able to pass the exams or they didn't know. So we lost a lot of really talented people. Right. They were talented, talented from where they came from and what their expertise was, but they struggled with exams. And so, um, I developed, um, a way cause, cause, because I struggled with exams, right? So mm-hmm. I developed a way for our guys. And these are like, you know, 20 year old kids that are right out of high school. Some of them have, you know, GEDs and, and all the way up to, you know, doctorate and masters and everywhere in between. But people that are not what you would normally think would be getting into the securities business. And so we've specialized on working with those people to help them get through. Right. Yeah, and I think that that's, I mean, the story that you told is one that I've heard a lot, right? And, and it's kind of the key problem, or maybe problem's not the right word, but the key kind of uh, externality or issue with this whole licensing thing is, I, I actually think that the licenses are very important, right? I mean, you look at kind of, um, you look at kind of like cryptocurrencies and other things and you're like, hmm, I guess this is why the rules exist, <laughs> right? Uh, but then on the other side... <laughs> Um, you know, you're taking people that are great salespeople and you're, you're asking them to kind of become like, like, you know, 30% lawyer for a few months. Uh, and it's tough. And it's also, it's, it's very much like, I'm sure that there are lots of great salespeople who would have been great wealth managers who just couldn't get through these tests that are like, related to what you're doing but they're not really like what the work you're doing on the job right um the test is not asking you you know how do you call a prospect the the test is asking you about kind of ethics and rules and things like that so it's important to know but it is a little bit sort of tangential as a uh, to the job um so now i mean nowadays we've got a lot more i think there's a lot more going on than an old textbook getting passed around (laughs) right um but i'm you know, I think that it's interesting, like, what are your sort of, uh, what are your tips for people that are not in finance when they're coming into this? Like, what, what do you tell people in the first class, right? If you guys, you guys have like your, your class series, right? Yep. One step at a time, but go ahead, Brian. Yeah. Yeah. I was going to say definitely one step at a time. We occasionally have people who want to try and take all the exams at once, get them all out of the way. We definitely advise against that. Mm-hmm. In a lot of cases, um, the biggest sort of initial hurdle um, comes down to one of the things that, that Jeff was really great at teaching and helping with, and is one of the great things that I actually learned from him in our partnership, 
which is the idea of time management, mm -hmm. making sure that people understand this isn't something that you need to spend eight and 10, 12 hours a day for three months studying kind of thing. Well, some of them might be at the higher levels, um, but not really. If you study more efficiently uh, with what you're already doing, mm -hmm. you'll get it. And trying to rush these generally isn't going to have the best results. Yeah. Take. Yeah. The way like we, we talk about, you know, at a minimum, like 20 to 30 hours over a month is, is kind of like a, it's, it's a general good balance that we found at least with our program between like, you know, you gotta be doing preferably kind of two hours a day for a few days a week at a minimum. Um, but you also are better off spreading that out rather than just cramming it all into like a weekend or like a couple of weekends. And, and that's the thing. A lot of these people, they do, they are really busy, right? They've got that, like some of them might have other jobs that they're, they're trying to do both, or they might be trying to, you know, start in their current job at their new place, but also like they've got to do licensing at night. Um, and then, you know, they oftentimes will have kids, right? I, one of the, one of our customers that I spoke to is a woman who she would be doing uh, achievable on her phone while she's in her daughter's in jujitsu class. Right. Um, and that's kind of yeah, like, we have that too. yeah, that's like the life that, that these people are doing. So definitely try to give yourself at least a month if we start preparing, um, and try to, you know, for time management tips, I mean, my tip would be, you know, block time on your schedule, right? Put it in your yep. calendar. Do you have any yeah, other time do. management tips? Yeah, I mean, what what Brian's done for us, um, <clears throat> because I don't know how to create anything, I can talk a lot. But what 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 we did uh, when we got started is I, I he mentioned this already about time management. I said, look, man, we've got people. The majority of our people that we work with have full-time jobs, usually somewhere else, mm -hmm. right? Or they're in the full-time job, and now their job is requesting that they get that securities licensing, the, the securities license. Okay, they've got full-time families. They don't go away. Yeah. So full-time job, right? Uh, full-time family. Oh, and by the way, maybe they do have an outside full-time job, and they're trying to build something on a part-time basis. So now they've got like two full-time jobs and a family, and now they got to study these exams, and there's no such thing as a part-time Series 7, a part-time SIE, a part-time Series 6. So mm -hmm. Brian developed, uh, we have a template, you know, and it's just seven days a week. Uh, we go 18 hours, and we say, okay, you know, schedule your time. Schedule the things that are important. So full-time job first, full-time build your business second, family, events third, and the time left over. We need at least, and I think you hit it on the head, at least a minimum of two hours a day for the next 30 to 45 days, depending on who you are, how you study, and, and, and things like that. Mm -hmm. And Brian put all that together, and that's what we use, and it works, because we make them do that when they plug into our system. Yeah, and I think it's it's so important to build that expectation into what you're doing, right? You have to set that expectation. And to with see it. Yeah. Like that's that's the other big thing is because if you have it printed out, a lot of times people let their schedule control them instead of letting them control their schedule. And they don't even really recognize at the end of the week. They're like, where'd all the time go? Whereas if you sort of block it out, not like every minute of every day, that's just going to cause headaches, but sort of the rough outlines of it. 
you can be amazed how much more efficient things can be. And if you see it, you can give it to your, your partner. You can give it to your spouse. Heck, you can give it to your annoying children if they'd be helpful to sort of help keep you in line, to help keep you following what you're saying you want to do. Mm-hmm. You certainly give it to your, to your boss or mentor, and they can call you and go, hey, did you do this today? You said you wanted to do this. And actually being able to see it in front of them, visualizing it is definitely a lot better if it's physical than just, oh, I think I'm going to spend two hours doing this. and. Just thinking about it. Right. And the other thing about that too, uh, Tyler, is that uh, when they see that, right, they've got to create it. That shows commitment. Mm -hmm. You know, before we'll take on a student in our SIE elite system, right, they have got to turn that in, right? I've got to see it. If you're not willing to do that, then you are not ready, you know. For the elite system. For the elite system. You might be uh, here to come to a class, right, if you want to come to a class or, or whatever. Or work through like your achievable program or Kaplan program, but you're not ready, you know, if you can't at least do that. And and mm-hmm. I would recommend they do that. I mean, that's the one tip I would recommend to get started. That's the number one reason most people don't get through. It's not their brain power, it's they don't schedule the time. Right. So if they would start with that and they know they're gonna hit achievable two hours a day minimum, right? And 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 and, and your plan's laid out. So they're just working through what you're telling, but they get it done because they scheduled the time because they had the commitment made before they got started. Right. And the one thing, the one thing that I always like to add when we talk about having some days of two, three, or even four hours, some days, depending on the exact plan, we're not necessarily talking about like a two, three or four hour chunk. I'm a big fan of trying to do like 45 minutes to an hour and then take a break, do something else and then come back late and do another 45 minutes to an hour kind of thing. Because if you try and do two or three hours in a row, your brain generally is going to start getting distracted. Oh, I've got these calls to make. I've got to check on the child. I've got to check on the spouse. I've got to cook dinner. That if you sort of uh, uh, book testing for and practicing for an hour Mm -hmm. and then go and start cooking dinner or go make your phone calls or go and run your appointments or errands and come back and do another hour, it's much more efficient and it's it's a lot less painful of you trying to push through and have to get this studying done before you've got to finish everything else this evening kind of thing. Right. And it's, it's also, I mean, the way that I kind of describe it to people sometimes is it's, it's kind of like learning a new language, right? So you're like, (laughs) like the language of, you know, the SEC and, and, and of the funeral organization. I, I I always like the line of, I didn't make up the laws. I just, I just disclosed. I just decipher the hieroglyphics that the SEC wrote and tell you what they say. Right, exactly. And and that's that's such a good way of putting it. And and so that's the thing. It's like when you're learning a new language, do you sit down and memorize vocab for three hours straight? Like, no. Like, you do it in little pieces because then your brain can kind of, like, digest it. And it's Make also... It fun. Yeah, and it's also, like, when you're learning a language, it's a lot better to learn it, you know, an hour a day for seven days than to do seven hours in one day. Right. Um, you just, you get a lot more out of the, the sort of the repetition and the practice. Right. Or as, or as Babel does it in 10 or 15 minutes, but we don't recommend that for the SIE. You really want to do for securities. You really want to be looking at the 45 minutes to an hour kind of thing. Otherwise you're not really getting into it much, but yeah, though we do have quizzes that, uh, people spend 10 or 15 minutes on that. That works pretty well too. Oh, I tell tell people, yeah, pull out, pull out your phone. If you need, if you need to do a quiz or read, read notes while you're waiting in line at the grocery store for a few years recently, that wasn't so much of an issue for some reason, but lately that has become more of a problem with people waiting in line at at grocery stores and things. Yeah. Pull it out, do, 
do do five questions and maybe have a little notepad and write down words that you need to look up later. Absolutely. Right, exactly. Yeah, it's just like, it, and that's sort of like going back to what Jeff said too. It's just about setting expectations with, you know, yourself and with your, you know, your family members or important people that, you know, this is going to be your hobby for the next month. Right. And, and then when you're done with it, you are done and it feels really good to be done. Right. And you get to go tell, you know, you get to go do this business, which is a very fun business. Um, you have a, you guys, when we were getting prepped for this, we were talking about, you know, time management is key. And then you had a, there's, I have a note here is uh, how to get through the minefield. Right. So what is the minefield and what does that mean? Well, okay. So when I, when I talk about the minefield, you know, Brian and I, when, when we're meeting with our students and when I'm talking to groups outside of a class, just, you know, how can we help or how can study materials help? You know, what do you have access to? Mm-hmm. Right. Okay. So, you know, you walk up to this very beautiful plowed field, right? But now there's signs all over the place saying, you know, minefield, minefield, minefield. Now you're given some tools. You got a little shovel, right? Which could be your say achievable program a kaplan program whatever right so you've got you've got your program that you've got so that's your little shovel you might have a little pick right and on the other side of this minefield is your sie or six or whatever and so you get started you've got your tools and you start working through right but you get sidetracked well i read on the internet maybe i ought to be doing over here you know doing some of this and so i take two steps over and i blow myself up now I got to pay more money. I have to sit out 30 days, right? And then you get started again and you're frustrated. So then you start picking the shovel, but you want to move faster. So then you move a little too quick, hit one of the mines a little too hard, and you blow yourself up. What our recommendation is, when you walk up to that minefield, right, whether you're a really great test taker, whether you have a background in this stuff or not, but especially the people that have no background, don't know any of the language, so to speak, and they're learning everything from scratch, it's probably not a bad idea. The best way to get through a minefield is follow somebody that's already done it a few times because now all you got to do is put your foot where they put their foot and you can't screw up because we've Mm -hmm. made it, right? These guys, um, you guys, right? How many people have y'all literally walked through the minefield, right? So if they stay on track with the materials that they have, Take the recommendation of the people that they have and not get distracted. They've got to put the blinders on. If they committed to this system, Mm -hmm. they need to work that system the way it's written. And that's what we talk about. If you're going to work with us, work our system. Don't be going over here or going over there. Stay with our system, right? Right. And you'll walk through the minefield and you'll pass your exam and it'll avoid paying extra money, a lot of frustration, that's what we mean by the minefield. Yeah. I, I think also, I mean, on the one hand, we actually have quite a lot of people that um, come by us after they've tried something else, but usually it's after <laughs> they've blown themselves up one time. Right. Yes. Um, yes. And you know, I think there is, so on the one hand I do see um, particularly like sometimes, particularly with like getting two sets of practice questions from different vendors because mm-hmm. they sometimes write them differently and it just kind of gives you multiple kind of triangulation points. Those are helpful things, but the core of what you're saying, I really agree with particularly and kind of like behind uh, what you said, the thought that I had was like, try to get a mentor, right? And and that mentor, if you're already in a job that is requiring these licenses, oftentimes that's your branch manager, right? Or that's the person who's in charge of giving you 
the the licensing instruction in the first place. Uh, maybe you actually have a licensing facilitator in your in your office, but like work with them, treat them as your TA in school, right? Like t- treat them as almost like a free tutor even. And then if that's not working or if they, you know, don't have time for you, you know, either try to find somebody who is already licensed in your firm that's willing to, you know, just field questions from you, kind of take you under the wing a little bit or go hire somebody that does this for a living like you guys, right? That will be very prepared to help you with all of your questions. And that's what you're paying them for, right? Um, there's, it's more than just, it's, it's a lot better than just kind of, I'm going to buy a book or buy a program and I'm going to do it a hundred percent on my own. And you know, I'm never going to, I'm never going to try and ask for help. It's all, it's better. It's uh, gotta be willing to ask for help. Yeah. The African proverb, right. It's like, if you want to go fast, go alone, but if you want to go far, go together. Yeah, absolutely. And the point about the, the added Q banks, see a Q bank, is not a system because you're not just going to burn through a Q bank and pass the exams. Yep. We absolutely believe in having access to multiple Q banks because some Q banks you get, you know, like yours, right? You could be knocking out questions on your phone, like Brian said, right? Mm. So that's not, uh, that is, ex- that is awesome to have that. What I worry about is it, where, where we come from is, well, I'm going to go pay to go to these guys' class. Right. And I'm using this material. And then two weeks later, well, I heard this lady over here teaches a better class. So then they they keep bouncing from system to system, mm-hmm. not yeah. Q-Bank to Q-Bank. Right. I mean, that is always good to have a ton of questions. So, yeah, yeah I 100 yeah, percent agree. Yeah. Yeah. Sticking to a course system and, and a study schedule. Right. Definitely. At least through yeah. your first attempt, I think is super important. And then the other thing, too, is is to remember that. um I mean, it depends on your job, uh, but most of the time you get a few attempts, right? Usually at least kind of a second one. Um, most yeah, companies mean, will give yeah. you a second one, I think. So like, don't... There there are a few, there from from my experience, because Jeff primarily deals with one broker-dealer I've dealt with, I think I'm at 20, I think it's 27 different broker-dealers and investment advisories. It's rare that you really only have one shot. Now, I have found in many cases, and hopefully I'm not spoiling anything and going to get anyone in trouble, but there's a lot of ones that say you have one shot, but as long as you're sort of working and you're showing like you get in the 60s kind of thing, they'll give you another shot or two because they've invested a bunch in you already. They're not going to just, but they want that pressure. I have found that there are some where they missed the test and um, they were, they were out, unfortunately. Yeah, um, I don't, I, I don't remember the names of those specifically, but they were, I think it was one or two, and it's rare. Yeah, we don't want to, we don't want to name names, anyways, right? But I, I think <laughs> right, that, right. I think that in general, I, like, yeah, uh, the idea though, at least for me, it's funny that they want to put on more pressure, which is probably they're worried that you're not doing enough. But if you are yeah. doing enough, then I think it's nice to maybe not put so much test anxiety Agreed. pressure on yourself and just be like, look, I, I know I this stuff, that- yeah. Yeah, where it seems like they just you just try to you just try to push them between two steel plates. Like let them breathe a little bit, and you'll see what they can do. Right, exactly. Yeah, so that that that's kind of my point. It's like, and and maybe that's a good segue into kind of another thing to talk about here is 
but is, uh, also about pressure. Yeah. One of the things I found is that a lot of people put an undue pressure on themselves. Yes, exactly. Or a lot of people at our firm where you actually, our firm, our firm lets you take it basically as often as you need, though there's waiting periods if you fail a certain number of times. But the people sort of put so much pressure on themselves. That, oh my God, if I if I fail, my, my family's going to disown me and my kids are going to, oh God, oh God. And they just get into this nerve, this ball of nerves and stress that that's not... I always tell people, don't give the test that power. Right. Like that's not, it's not, that's not what's going to happen. Worst case, make sure you take notes afterwards. So in 30 days, you'll get it then. Yeah, exactly. Um, and I actually, I think that's just a great, uh, so totally agree with you. Don't give the test that much power. Don't, you know, at the end of the day, like your performance will be better if you're less nervous. Right. Exactly. So like, do what you need to do to be less nervous, less anxious. Um, Mm -hmm. and then the, the other part of it, which I thought was a really good tip and that's actually a nice segue here is take notes when you get stuff wrong and don't just do it when you take the real SIE and then you find out that you got a 66 or whatever. Um, do it every time you take a full practice test, do it when you're taking chapter quizzes or review quizzes or whatever, you know, your program has. You know, keep what in, in other, uh, in other worlds, like, uh, for other tests, it's called an error log, right? So, like, mm-hmm. keep an error log, like, write down what you're getting wrong and why. And then now, over time, you can start to build a list of stuff, not just that you need to study, but then also you can kind of see it over time and say, oh, man, I used to get, uh, like, you know, the options spread questions wrong a lot. And now I don't. That's great, right? Or, oh, I'm still getting them wrong. Maybe this is something I should ask someone about. Um, I always say I always say to physically write it down because the idea is right. if you're looking at the word and you don't understand it and you are writing it down and then you are looking it up and you are taking the notes and the way you understand what you're reading and you're writing them down with the word, that that's really getting stuck in all different parts of the brain. And who knows where stuff might fall out when it comes to test time. Right. Yeah, yeah writing. And I would add. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. All right. So, yeah. And and what I would add to that is it's not just what you miss. Remember, the questions that you're practicing with are not the questions that you're going to see on the actual exam. So we have to understand that concept. So what if I guess a question right? That doesn't mean I know it. Right. So we always emphasize, always have a blank sheet of paper and a pen out when you're taking quizzes. Well, when you're doing anything, watching a video, sitting in class, whatever you're doing. But specifically with quizzes, and so you have that blank sheet of paper, and when if it's not a timed exam, take your time. When you read the question and you read the answer choices, right? write down any word, individual word that you see that you do not understand, right? If you don't fully understand, if you can't explain it to me, Brian, or Tyler, you write it down, right? And that's how you build that word list. And uh, then you go to the answer choices, and you read all the answer choices. Any answer or any word that you don't know, even if it's the wrong answer, to that question, if there's a word that you see like preemptive right and you don't know what that means, that absolutely could show up somewhere else. So you're making a word list. You see the word. You don't understand it. You physically write it down. When you're done, then you go look it up. Look it up right. at the materials, right? And Google it. So, exactly. Yeah. yeah. And words and terms, right? Terms and terminology, yeah. right? Like it, absolutely. There, there's stuff like, uh, you know, debentures that I never saw before I started working on this kind of stuff. And that's or just subordinated subordinated debentures right and it's like what does that mean if you've never been from finance so that's just a straight vocab word but then there's stuff like long and short and bullish and bearish and like i think a lot of people know bullish and bearish just because you've heard it but like 
long and short is maybe and what that means in the context of different types of trades like that's actually and, all and lingo phrases too. yeah like let like letters of intent because when you're looking at that everyone goes oh i know what letters are oh i know what an intent means but the phrase letters of intent has a very specific meaning they can get confusing rights of accumulation same kind of thing and i always describe the test likes to pair things against each other that yeah. are similar and try well, and confuse the word you between principle. them how many different meanings does principal have? Yeah, exactly. Right? Supervisor, the money that you invest, right? Principal transaction on a broker. So that's why you want to use your index of the material that you're using so you can look that stuff up. But absolutely, that's the whole point. I summarize the SI, just specifically the SIE. When I summarize the SIE, what I talk about, it's word association, recognition, right? And basic concepts. Mm-hmm. Right. And if you master those things, you're not going to have any problem. Now, as we move into the, you know, top offs and the other exams, right, there's a little more to it. But, um, but it's the foundation, yeah. right? And that, that is yes. the key with the SIE. It's part of what makes it hard, but also makes it, in a lot of ways, like one of the most important ones that you ever take is that it, it lays the foundation for all this stuff. It's, it's the introduction to all the other licenses. That's the thing that a lot of people seem to misunderstand about it, why there's so much of it that almost no one who's taking it is ever going to actually need, is because that there are some people who are taking it who will be needing that. Mm -hmm. Some of the sort of weird advanced analyst degree uh, licenses that I don't really know about need the SIE initially. Mm -hmm. So, like, they're the ones that need all the data stuff that we're looking at and going, why do we need to know this? Well, it's on the test. That's why I need to know it so we can teach it to pass the stupid test. But the idea is that some people who are taking it are going to be using it. It's just an incredibly small number compared to the normal people that are going to be in the retail market. Right. Well, in, in a way, it's it's helpful. I mean, one of the things that I uh, did in my career is I did some time in sales and then I moved over to marketing. And it was just, you know, those are different disciplines. But it's really helpful to kind of know what the other people are talking about dealing with and what their job is like when you're doing your job right and it's it's going to be true for these people too if you're talking if you're in wealth management and you're talking to an analyst having just a clue is going to be better than not right and so that's kind of why it's it's still good even if it's maybe not directly related to what you're doing um you're still going to get some value out of it at, at some point um, well, great. Do you guys have any other kind of parting thoughts here um, as we wrap this up on what are the you know tips for people without a finance background going into the SIE? Just keep in mind that the SIE is a mile wide of information, but they only take it an inch deep. Mm -hmm. So learning the language, you don't have to be fluent in the language. You want to have a good understanding so you can recognize terms, word associate terms, and understand the basic concepts. And you're going to be fine. We always call that our simple, not easy study plan. It's simple. It's not easy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You got to cover a lot of, a lot of ground, right? Yeah. I always like reminding people that this test is a four part multiple choice test. It's not a fill in the blank. The answer is always going to be in front of you on the exam. Yeah. There's three wrong answers there. If they weren't there, the test would be a lot easier. I agree, but they're <laughs> going to be there. So the idea is either you, it's not one of those tests where you need to read the question necessarily and know what the most right answer is. If you can look at the four answer choices and figure out which three aren't good, picking the least bad answer 
is generally also the most good answer. Mm -hmm. And sometimes it can be a lot easier to remove all of the hay to look at what you know from what the answers are and connect the answers back to the question instead of trying to read the question to figure out what the answer is. They're giving you the answer. It's in front of you. It's one of them. However you find it, as long as you're not like bringing in outside cheating things or anything, you can't do that. But mm -hmm. however you find it, whether you're figuring it out from the question or you're figuring it out from the answers, however you find the answer is all we need to do. Yeah. Fantastic. Well, thanks, guys. This has been Achievable's FINRA podcast, hosted by Tyler from Achievable with Brian and Jeff from the Securities Guys. And Achievable has courses for the FINRA SIE 6, Series 6, 7, 63, 65, and 66. And you can try them for free by visiting achievable.me and be sure to use the code podcast to save 10%.